Welcome to It's Gwinnable, the podcast of my journey to become the best woman, wife, and mother that I can be. I am back with this week's listener advisory. Um, Just a quick reminder, this is the third part in the series. So if you haven't listened to um, the first two parts, you may want to stop here and go back and listen. Um, And just a quick reminder that we are talking about sensitive subjects um, that could be upsetting to some listeners and that some um, swear words are interspersed into the conversation. Um, So just listener discretion is definitely advised again for this episode. One of the things that I was really excited about when we decided to take this, like, to you and me two-way conversation public so to speak doing the podcast is that we have such it's a like a similar experience in the fact that we both experienced loss but we came to it from a such a different place and a different space and a different like experience and then obviously like your experience was like the results were very, very different and stuff. But one of the things I was so excited about doing it with you for was because um, we bring two different sides of the table to the same conversation where I feel like it's even more relatable to an even wider variety of people. Like back <laughs> a couple hours ago when we started this conversation, we were talking about just like where I felt my journey started being 23 and being told I probably wouldn't be able to have kids. Whereas you were so much younger, you were still a kid and you hadn't like, I already knew I wanted kids. Whereas like you had, I mean, I decided I wanted kids when I was like seven, but like you hadn't, most people don't, (laughs) I was weird, but like (laughs) you hadn't had the space and the time or like maturity to wrap your head around like whether what decision you really want like that kind of decision seemed to have been like taken away from you and you just you grew up with it sort of definitely i yeah 12 to 13 i'd like to i'd like to think of now being 33 that i was mature enough to decide that i didn't want kids anyway but uh you know now with mature eyes and of very matured brain, I definitely was not able to make that decision. But also growing up, you know, always telling myself, I I won't want children and I don't want children. Um, I don't really know if I ever would have wanted kids because I spent so many years reinforcing it in my head. I don't like kids. I don't want kids. I don't like kids. I don't want kids. I I honestly can't tell myself that I I don't know. I think I conditioned myself so harshly that I did not want kids because I was told by so many doctors that I wouldn't really ever be able to have them, that yeah. it's completely possible, right, that I don't want them because I told myself that and that I'd be perfectly happy with just being around other people's kids. So I don't know. I mean, I do like my individuality and my, you know, being able to be free and about, but, um, but who knows? Yeah. When I, I, I feel like, like you, you've made peace with it now at 33, but like, I was yeah. more thinking like, 
at like 12 13 like it wasn't like you'd had a serious boyfriend yet and like (laughs) like do you know what i mean like you didn't have the time to fantasize about that future life really yet do you know what i'm like just like my perspective because um yeah most people aren't buying baby name books with their birthday money when they're nine you know i was i was a freak (laughs) (laughs) and i did so it's, it's kind of funny because i did as um as a little kid i i did have a strong feeling that i would grow up and have a daughter I always, always had that vision in my head and that feeling that I would grow up to have a daughter, and I had her name picked out when I was a little kid. Before I was 13, I had her name picked out, and I would name her, I always knew that I would name her after my favorite movie called Cadence. It's a classic movie with Martin Sheen, and uh, anyways, so you can look it up to all of your wonderful listeners out there. (laughs) It's a great movie to watch. Anyway, um... Yeah, so the first relationship that I got into, though, as an adult, um, he was obsessed with being a dad. And um, so that was when it kind of hit me that, like, I, I don't know if I want kids. And that's when I started first questioning whether I actually maybe wanted kids and could do it. Yeah. So that's... That's when it kind of, like, I started questioning. I had never questioned it before. I had always told myself, don't want kids. I'll never have kids. Which is interesting because you had that such strong feeling in your heart of, of a daughter who already had a name. Like, I feel like, yeah. that, like it's like it's kind of like hearing you talk about it a little bit, like, again, not funny, haha, but, like, it's a little <laughs> bit funny just because... Like, you talk about it, like, yeah, I knew I was going to have her, and I knew what her name was, and, like, like from a sense of, like, you knew her already, and you knew she was a part of your life on, like, a more cosmic, spiritual kind of plane, like, you know what I mean? Like, it just that it was destined, but at the same time, you were like, nope, don't want kids. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly, it's so strange, but that's exactly how it was. Like, it's like I dreamed her up or made her up somehow you know like she was going to come into existence and I knew it ever since I was a little kid like that this this magical whatever like she was going to happen and I had already realized her you know like it was going to happen even though I knew I was never going to have kids and that you know whatever like that Um, was a problem for future you to figure out yeah (laughs) it was so strange when you started dating um that guy um I think nice to leave names out of it but um (laughs) did you did you know going into the relationship that he wanted kids or did it kind of come up after you'd been together for a little bit like did you guys talk about your medical side of things in advance like I kind of did with Robin or not so much uh not so much we didn't really talk about it and he Oh, he was sneaky. <laughs> well, and do you, like, you were younger, too, right? Like, you... I was 17 years younger than him. Right. So he was, like, um, a mature man, but you were also just coming of age, too, right? Like, right? Like, you were... That's exactly, yeah. So I was 18 when we first got together, and then I had three miscarriages before having our daughter and um 
it it took about it took about five or six months before he really started putting pressure on me to have kids. And he was he was manipulative about it. Like it first started off with, you know, he'd come home from work and he would start talking about all of the other dads at work. And he wouldn't call them like guys at work or his friends at work or his coworkers. He would always describe the other guys at work as the other dads at work. Hmm. And I, you know, so he was always putting that into my head, like, oh, the other dads at work. And, um, you know, like little things like that. So I, I just started getting like the, the feeling like, okay, so he, he wants to be like part of that club. And, uh, so that's how it all started. And then, um, you know, other little things would start happening in our relationship. And, uh, so anyways, basically long story short, he started with manipulation and more emotional abuse. And then. I would just start asking him outright stuff, and uh, he finally came out with it that he wanted to be a dad. And so I, I told him about my medical issues, and he basically, you know, my health damned. He wanted to be a dad. So I, I really thought that I was in love with him, and I mean, I was, I was really young, 18 turning 19. You think you're invincible. What are the odds that anything bad is really going to happen? Everything always happens to somebody else, right? Right. And when it's your first kind of really serious relationship, too, and especially with a guy so much older, right? Like, I I imagine, like, because I hadn't obviously met you yet, but I can imagine being in that kind of a position where you, you just accept it as, because, like, you don't know any different, so that is what normal becomes, like, in hindsight, yeah. it's easy to sit here and be like, holy crap, he was, like, manipulating me and abusing me and, like, this was a bad situation. But in, in the time, all you're thinking is, I'm with a man I love who loves me, who wants to be a dad, so I need to find a way to make that happen for him. Exactly. And also, I thought at the time, you know, like, because he's older than me, um, significantly, you know, if anything should happen to me, Obviously, it wouldn't be fatal um, because I'm invincible and young. We're having some technical phone glitch issues. Sorry, you started crackling in and out there for a sec. Um, Okay, no, now you're back. Okay, go go back. (laughs) Sorry. Um, You're invincible. (laughs) Oh, okay. So, because I'm invincible, if anything should happen to me, uh, you know, he's significantly older, so he'll take care of me, um, and our child will be fine. You know, he's he's that kind of guy. I'm just enamored with him. Everything will be great. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of went along with that thought, and I had asked him, you know, once or twice, like, will you take care of us, and everything will be good. And of course, he told me anything that I wanted to hear. So we tried, we tried, and um, I... I ended up, you know, getting pregnant, and that didn't go well. And uh, as I alluded to um, a couple hours ago there, I, I'm fairly good at separating emotion from logic. So the, the few miscarriages, they, they bothered me, but I was able to look at them as, okay, I 
emotionally because I failed. I was useless if I couldn't produce an actual product for him. That's kind of how I felt. Uh, it's terrible to say that way, but that's, you know, how I was treated. Um, and then we got to what I was emotionally told to only consider as the pregnancy, which was um, my daughter's cadence. <laughs> well, and I think that's like where like the miscarriages were experienced like yours and mine so differently because um I felt that my body had failed me but I'm sitting and it hurts my heart to hear you like say that you fail like and I get like that was something that was put on you by him and like by you know the people in your lives and stuff at the time but like it's like I can see compartmentalizing that loss because like oh you do like you know the pregnancy like as a failure instead of as a loss of life like as a you know like you internalized or like punished yourself for not giving him what he wanted instead of does that make sense like i'm i'm over here hurting for you <laughs> i want to give you a hug um but like that's like where we and i think yeah because you like you said like you were just trying to get to the end result for him you weren't really you know going through each of the losses kind of individual like each or like especially if he was refusing to acknowledge that they were pregnancies too like as you said like you refer to it as the pregnancy with cadence just because but like you had lost three children at that point but if he wasn't acknowledging that and processing that and or giving you the space to process that like yeah that's a lot to him it was basically uh I can't remember if it was referred to by him as basically like a pull tab or like a scratch card, but basically like better luck next time. Oh. Like, you, like you didn't, you didn't do your job, and you didn't win this time, so you fucked up. Let's go again, and you better do a better job next time, basically. Oh. So, like. You know, like, don't come crying to me. You didn't do your job. What am I supposed to do about it? This one's on you. Like, that's how it basically went over. So the next couple times, I didn't even bother telling him because it was not his problem. Um, so I just, I had to, like, deal with it myself. And it was, that's how I just treated it. Like, oh, damn it. Again, keep the body. Okay. Shit. He's not gonna be happy <laughs> and like better get back on that horse oh my goodness i wish i had known no you horse. then so badly <laughs> <sighs> but, but yeah so i
uh, early labor. Um, I just completely lost it after what happened, and just yeah, that's why I went off the deep end. <laughs> were you were like were you were you like on on bed rest and stuff like because you had you you went into premature labor like you had her early but were they or were your doctors and stuff like aware that that was a possibility or like were they monitoring you for that I did go in uh okay so I went at six I think it was like around five and a half or six months I went and I was put on bed rest because I had started spotting. Um, I had gone into the hospital multiple times for spotting and I was I had thought that I had like that I was miscarrying, because um, I was still working full time. Right. And uh, like on my feet all day kind of thing. Um, and then finally I was put on bed rest and they said, you know, like, try to keep your stress to a minimum or none at all type thing. Uh, and then it was about a month, yeah, about a month after I was put on bed rest that I went into labor. Okay. Yeah. And that was in December of 2006. And, uh, yeah, yep, December 2006. Sorry, I know it's hard, it's hard to, like, go back there and, like, pull details and stuff, because, like, most of what you and I discussed was after, you know, and, like, we, we've had a lot of conversations about, but I've never, like, and now let me pick at the before, so sorry, sorry, I feel mean, <laughs> right now. It's absolutely, it's, yeah, because, oh my goodness, it's also, it's so crazy for me like I'm, I'm 33 now and I'm thinking back to like oh my goodness I would have a 14 year old daughter this year like yeah. it's just crazy to me it's like almost halfway through her teens this year like it was it's just mind-blowing to me yeah but um but yeah, so basically what had happened is uh, I had driven my then-fiancé to work because he was carless. <laughs> I got home in the early wee hours and went back into bed and was watching my CSI Miami. <laughs> and <laughs> that was one of my favorite shows then. And uh, I thought for some reason that I was uh, like peeing the bed. And I'm thinking like, that's weird. I usually know when I have to pee. And I'm looking at the bed like, I shouldn't be peeing right now. What the hell is going on? And uh, it was really dark in the room. So I get up and I start walking up the stairs to go to the bathroom. And once I got into the like bathroom light and I turned it on, I just, there was blood everywhere. I'm thinking, that's not pee. Why is my pee? Uh, like, this is not normal. And uh, we were living with my parents, regrettably, at the time. So I was just like, Mom! Mom! I'm peeing! <laughs> Your brain kind of 
just shuts off like it has like a disconnect like your brain shuts off and has like a disconnect in those moments where like you can't fully process like and in hindsight you're like that's hilarious and in the moment you're like I'm saying things but I don't really understand what's happening you know what I mean like I could just like feel that moment (laughs) yeah your brain goes into completely stupid idiocy mode where like everything that you want to be happening that can't possibly make any sense yeah that's what has to be happening like oh this is urine this is completely urine and like there's so much of it but that's what's happening so like obviously it's pee just coming out by the gallon like that's what happens so um and the night before i had been having what i thought were just wicked gas cramps and i have like a really high pain tolerance and my mom had come in, and she was like, what's wrong? I was like, oh, just it's gas, Mom. And she was like, uh, Candy, gas? That, that doesn't sound like gas. Are you in labor? I was like, it's way too early for labor. Like, just go back to bed. I'm just having gas. And she was like, gas does not hurt where you're holding. I was yeah. like, Mom, it's gas, okay? I know what gas is. And she was like, I don't think so, sweetie. So, anyways, that was pre-labor, apparently. <laughs> so, your brain um so anyways the next day there when she came in and she saw what i thought was pee no um that apparently was like the water that broke and all of that um so she grabbed towels and rushed me out to her car we got to the hospital and there was just so much blood and i remember then my brain kicked in like uh is my entire body draining of blood now? Because I heard somewhere there was only like seven liters or pints or something in the body, and I must be dead already. Like, yeah, it, it does seem like an absurdly large amount of like, you're like, how can someone bleed? Like, clearly, I'm going to die. I have yeah. ha- I had that thought the first miscarriage of like, it, it there's too much blood, like there's too much. So like, I can kind yeah. of commiserate with that too. Of just like, yeah. how is this? How am I still breathing? <laughs> yeah, and I just, I remember, like, my mom was being so calm, and I was looking at her like, oh, well, if she's this calm, and I'm almost dead, I'm sure, just because of the blood, like, I'm still conscious, but, like, if she's this calm, I should be calm, too, okay? So I wasn't freaking out, because as long as she's not losing her uh, stuff, I'm I'm okay. And then we get into the hospital, and, like, her, she's, like, looking a lot worse very quickly, and then I'm starting to panic. So I'm like, this is not good. Um, And they, like, they rushed me in, no waiting. And, um, you know, I, I knew that things were not good, and I could start feeling my baby moving a lot, and I was kind of like, uh... I couldn't feel her like this before. So obviously everything in my like uterus and stuff is like emptying out right. because I could just feel her moving like just, oh it was crazy. Like so oh excuse me. Um and then I told my mom, you know, like you have to call my fiance, like you you have to call him. And uh so I remember she did and she came back in and she told me, you know, like, well, he said he's staying at work until he gets an update. And I thought, okay, that's weird, but okay. Um, 
and the, the one paramedic uh, people, or not paramedics, but whatever, like some of the nurses were really awesome, but one of the nurse people, they were, uh, she was so mean to me, and I needed help getting into the bathroom because I actually had to go to the bathroom, and I remember I was getting help from two, like, paramedic type people. I don't know who they were. Uh, and the nurse just barked at them and said, like, leave her alone. She can get up and walk herself or wow. something. And I remember, like, almost falling over myself trying to get into the bathroom. And when I looked at myself in the mirror, I was the same color as the wall. Oh, my God. And... Like, there was no difference between my skin color and the wall. And that's when I got actually scared. Like, I was not scared until that point when I saw my skin. And I thought, this has got to be serious or something. Um, and then doctors came in after, and they started, like, giving me these shots in the hip. And they said that it was huge like strengthen the baby's lungs uh and i said what what is that for can't you just stop this labor until she's like old enough or ready to be delivered kind of thing like i didn't know what the hell was going on um and they said no she's coming there's no way that we can stop this now um and i said well i'm just not gonna push her out i'm just gonna keep <laughs> I'm just going to hold my legs together and she's just not going to come out and I'm going to force her to stay in until she's good enough. And they said, you know, a bunch of stuff to me, but basically that's not going to work, sweetheart. Like, there's, there's, no, it's not going to happen. Um, and they came in a few times to give me those shots to strengthen up her lungs. And, uh, oh, um, I... So, apparently, the lungs need uh, these shots to develop. So, anyways, after uh, those rounds, I found out that uh, I would be in labor for the next week. So they were but trying. They I, were trying to slow your labor down and draw it out to give her lungs a chance to finish, because you were. Do you do you remember how many weeks ish you were? Uh, twenty three. Okay. Just over twenty three weeks. So they were trying to just buy her because, like, I know at that stage where you're like approaching viability, every like even an extra twenty four hours can make a huge especially if they're giving you i think there's steroid shots for lung development just to kind of push them to the point of breathing a little bit easier right so they were trying to they were dragging your labor out and trying to slow it down just to give her a little bit more womb time that's exactly okay so she like they were bringing me down for ultrasounds like yeah ultrasounds um basically every day for a few days um, to keep checking her weight and, like, measurements and all of that. Uh, and I was doing my best to keep eating because they kept trying to tell me, you know, like, keep eating, try to keep your strength up, 
that kind of stuff. I had no appetite but was trying to eat and not get sick. Because right. um, in my mind, you know, my only focus was don't let her come out, just keep her in there intubating. Like, I was just basically trying to be a life support well, and you're probably like also like chanting like don't be stressed don't be stressed don't be stressed during like the most stressful yeah. time of like you can't yeah. not be stressed but at the same time and then you're like beating yourself up it's a vicious cycle <laughs> that's exactly it and uh and then the last ultrasound that they did they had told me like um everything but it's not like it's not that you can say like okay well we won't deliver now then like that that train has left the station like she's coming <laughs> like there's no like what are you supposed to do with the information they're hurling at you when it's not like you can be like okay well we'll wait three weeks that's fine you know <laughs> and i like my in those moments my only uh Oh, it's so hard to come up with the words. <laughs> My only care and thought process in those moments were, I only care about my child. Yeah. I only care that she makes it. I don't care about myself. And if I have to die so that she can live, that's totally fine with me. Like, I, I don't care. And um, I asked the doctors, I clearly remember talking to them about, uh, like, is there some sort of way, even if I slip into, like, a coma or whatever, that she could stay in my body and continue to, like, grow or whatever, right? Like, um, until she is viable, and then she could be born and then live healthfully. Mm-hmm. You know, like, is there is there some way that that could happen? Like, if I was medically induced into a coma, is there some way that you could stop the labor, keep her within me, and then she could be born? I asked the doctors about that, and they looked at me like, 
how could you think about that and like be willing to do that? They looked at me like I was insane. Um, and then I looked over at, but they didn't answer and say yes or no. Hmm. So I knew that that was possibly an option and I was happy about that. Um, so I, I looked at my partner and I just asked him like, are you ready to be a single father? If worse came to worse, yeah. Would you be willing to be a single father? And he just looked at me and he wouldn't answer. Like, he he wouldn't give an answer either way. And I was getting so angry at him because, the, of course, the doctors didn't know about any of our conversations home in private. Right. Um, my parents didn't know about any of our conversations, about how much he wanted to be a father. They didn't know about any of that stuff. But he wouldn't give an answer about anything and uh, anything about that. Now, here in Alberta, I don't know if the laws have changed or anything, but there is some sort of law or statute where if a baby is born prematurely and they weigh less than 500 grams, the doctors are legally not allowed to um, give them any sort of care or intervention, right? Unless the like, unless the baby is able to like breathe on their own or whatever. Like, basically, the, the child has to fight for its own life. They, yeah, they have to be. They have to be big enough that to a certain point that they that medical intervention makes sense. Like that is is possible. Exactly. Yeah. And then that was, it was that was long enough ago to that like I mean medicine advances so rapidly that I'm like that things are you know like if you had had her in the 90s it would have been even worse but like you know like it just there they just, I'm sure probably those levels have probably changed yeah since you had cadence but I get where and, you're coming from <laughs> yeah and and I remember. Uh, like with the odds that they were giving and the percentages with all of like the things that could go wrong and such, I mean, with how terrifying all of that was anyways, um, we didn't know at the time, but none of that would have mattered, no matter what we would have chosen. Because when she was born 168 hours later, that is a long time to be in labor. Yes. I will say that. Um, they even asked me, you know, like, would you like drugs, basically? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said no, because I don't want my baby to be born on drugs. Oh, my God. You are a saint. And I just, I remember, like, my, my little sister and I have always had, like, a competition about, like, pain and who can endure more, right? Mm-hmm. And I, like, don't think I'm so tough to it. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, um... When she was born, she was only 493 grams. So she, you know, by five envelopes weight, <laughs> she was under the, the limit anyway. So no matter what we would have chosen, it wouldn't have mattered. Mm. Um, but I do remember my mother, she was like frantic and freaking out about anything that I had tried to say to the doctors and she was fighting for my life 
And I remember her saying to the doctors, you know, she's lost so much blood. She's basically insane. She can't speak for herself anyways right now. I'm not going to lose my 19-year-old child because, um, you know, whatever. I love my grandchild that's inside of her, but I don't know that baby. And I've known my child her entire life. I'm not going to lose her. I'm speaking on her behalf, so I mean, yeah, they're, and they, they listened to my mother over me because she had, like, control over me, I guess. That's what it came down to. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure that you were so out of it at that, I mean, you can't be in labor that long and be, like you said, you had lost a lot of blood and everything too, right? Like, you weren't really in a good, like, you can't advocate properly for yourself when you're in that state physically but also in that state mentally because you were all of your focus was just keep her in keep her in keep her in you can't think you like i'm sure you were just in this hazy fog of what the heck is happening right now you know where yeah and that's what the doctors um agreed with and (laughs) so that's what they were gonna they were gonna listen to my mother anyways in that in that circumstance they were not gonna take what i said anything so I was like I was outgunned um so when I when I ended up uh going into the final stages of the the labor and such I I did end up relenting and finally took the um offer for an epidural and that is a hilarious story in and of itself with the look on my sister's face because of course we can't see the epidural when it goes in i didn't feel it when we're in labor right yeah. you wouldn't feel your leg getting sawed off when it's <laughs> crazy so, um but anyways so when i was uh having her though the epidural had only reached my knees by the time she was actually born so I, there was no point my goodness um, so anyways, uh, I had her and she, she passed away 23 minutes later after she was born. And, uh, my mom, bleh, my mom got to hold her. I did not, and I don't have regrets about that. Uh, a social worker before I gave birth to her, multiple social workers came in. I don't like that policy personally with hospitals. I don't know other provinces, but Alberta, they have social workers come into the room and they have other healthcare workers come into the room and try to talk to the mothers. And they just they have so many people that swarm you while you're right in the midst of, like, one of the worst times of your life. And this one social worker, she came in and she was pleading with me to hold my baby um, after I gave birth to her. And she was like, you're going to regret it for the rest of your life if you don't just hold your baby while she passes away. And you're going to regret is for the rest of your life if if you don't let them take pictures of your dead baby and keep the pictures after for safekeeping so that you can look at them for time to time. Um, And she went into these stories about, excuse me, how in the um, 
50s and earlier how women weren't even allowed to see their dead babies and they would just be thrown in stoves in some cases and mothers never got over it and how many regrets I would have and like it was absurd what these social workers were trying to do to like guilt trip me into doing something that I didn't want to do. Well, and something that they felt was best. Like, they took their emotions and put their emotional spin on it and then assumed that you would feel the same way that they did. And that's awful. And I'm sorry. That's horrible. And, now the reason, which I have no problem talking about at all, but the reason why, and I didn't tell them the reason why, because I didn't feel like after them, you know, unloading that crap on me, I didn't think that they deserved to know my reason why I did not want to hold my dying baby. Um, I, I knew at that time, if I held my daughter, who I had dreamt about, like you said earlier, cosmically. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, like, if I held my dying daughter in my arms as she took her last breath, I would never have been able to let her go. I would have been cradling my dead child in that hospital bed for, like, I'm sure days. Like, they would have they never would have had to sedate you and, and they would have had to put dramatic. me in the insane ward. Yes. Because I would not have let go. They, like, I would have clawed anybody who came near me and that dead infant. Like, like I just could not. And I also got, like, manically insane before I even gave birth to her while I was still in labor, going through these fits in my mind, not outwardly, but just in my brain going crazy of, get this thing out of me because I'm going crazy. Like, I can't stand to have this thing that I've dreamt about that I've already named inside of me that's still alive, that's going to be dead, that I can never fucking have. Like, I I just, it was so insane. And then, yeah, like, these social workers that were coming in, laying all of this stuff on me, and I was just, and I wanted them gone. I told the nurses that I wanted them gone, didn't want to talk to them. And then when they were talking about, like, how they wanted to take photos of my baby and clothes, and I was like, just get out of here. Like, go. I don't want any of this. This is my time I want to be in peace like I'm going through the worst moment I'm sure I'll ever have in my life just believe me alone I want my sister here and that's it like and my mother because they're being comforting and like useful to me and I that's it I don't want anybody else um but that's hospital policy and I I just it was so inappropriate to me and it was just crazy. Yeah, after, and, the, um, after the first so one, my, someone would have quit. So my mom stuff. held her, though, while she passed away. And it was it was healing for my mom. I'm glad that she got to do that. It was what she wanted to do. And mm-hmm. Cadence was in the arms of somebody, like, who loved her. So yeah. I felt okay with that. Um, but it was, it was just insane. And I'm sure... If the situation had been different and if for whatever reason they hadn't let your mom or your sister in, like, like it would, it would have been important to you that Cadence had that comfort and that security, like you would have found a way to make it happen for her, you know? 
but the fact that your mom was able to step in for you and say, like, your mom was taking care of you both. She was taking care of what you needed, and she was yeah. taking care of what you needed Cadence to have, too. And that, mm-hmm. and that's huge. And I think, too, there's something to be said for you were trying to protect yourself from a memory like if you had held her and if you had looked at her and if you had seen her you would have had to have lived with that mental image your whole life you know like they say the same thing like when like unfortunately when robin's grandfather completely different situation but when he passed away and robin Mm -hmm. obviously was upset and sad that we hadn't gotten out there to see him and and robin's dad said but now you have you're you're remembering him the right way like you don't have that image in your mind of of the end like you don't have to carry that forward with you right like you have you have how she looked in your heart and you have how she felt sorry (laughs) Oh, it's okay. It's okay. This is this is the hard part of talking to someone who's eight months pregnant right now. Um, (laughs) um, But like you have you have the image of her that matter like that. You know what I'm saying? I'm explaining it badly because I'm a hot mess right now. Um, But your mom stepped in for you and like intercepted that potentially traumatic image that you would have had to carry with you and again like everyone's different too like I've seen the photos online where you know the mom and dad are are snuggling up with the baby that they've just lost and they do these beautiful photo shoots and and if that helps them then that's amazing but what helps one person isn't cookie cutter gonna help everybody and I'm so grateful that you knew what you needed and you knew how to get yourself through that moment and you even at 19 and even after days of labor and people throwing information at you you were like no this is what I need like enough I know what I need which is hard I part of the reason part of the reason why I accepted, like, when they when they were doing the scans and they said, like, she's not growing anymore. She's not, she's not going to make it to the weight that she needs to be. Like, she's not, basically, you know, they were saying, like, it's, it's hopeless. Like, she's hopeless. And I'm not... I'm not going to apologize for being, like, a skeptical or cynical person in a lot of ways because I'm not entirely, like, and you know me. Yeah. Like, you know that about me. I'm not, I don't walk around in one of phases of complete pessimism. Like, if there's going to be hope about something, I'm one of those people pushing, like, other people behind it to, like, reach full potential, right? Um... You're, you're like one of the most optimistic people I know and I talk about that all the time and like it doesn't matter what crap is going on like you find the good in it somehow <laughs> and that's what you focus like you you are like this never ending like hill of optimism <laughs> and so I find it sometimes I, I sit and marvel at how amazing it is that that 
is who you are. Even even just given this one thing that you, that you're not like, if anyone had the right to be completely pessimistic, it would be you. Well, thank you. <laughs> but you know, like when when they when they told me there was multiple doctors and uh, and everything, just I guess like for some people who would say, you know, like, oh, you never give up hope. I mean, there are times, there are definitely times in life when there just, there really is no hope. And even though it might be rare, you know when those times are. And this was one of those times when there was not going to be hope for her. And um, so when I accepted, finally, uh, like, the drugs <laughs> and the the epidural and stuff like you know they they had said to me like there's there's no winning at the end of this race like you might as well be comfortable there's no reason for you to be suffering through this because mm-hmm. you're not going home with any awards or prizes at the end of this race kind of thing like there's there's no reason for you to be suffering through this um, and then it just kind of clicked with me, you know, like, um, well, maybe um, if my, like, the, the pain medications and stuff, if they're slowing my heart rate down, hers will too. Um, and I know that it's hard to, like, it's hard for me to talk about too, but um, I was hoping a lot that the slower my heart rate was, the less she would suffer because it killed me to think, you know, oh, I'm going to give birth to this precious little baby that I have been dreaming of my whole life. And she's just going to be like alive for a longer period of time struggling to breathe. Yeah. For what? Well, and having having some pain medication too would have gone through the placenta and into her, and would have helped ease any kind of pain that she may have had. That's exactly, and so that's what I was thinking as well, right? Yeah. So I mean, I was just, and I I do feel bad for saying it because, like, I don't, and I don't even know why. Like, it just, it just, it runs the worst shame and guilt through me even thinking about it but I think about it all the time like I don't think I'll ever stop thinking about it but I mean like I was hitting that sentinel button like a freaking Jeopardy player (laughs) you know um but I you know that I was I wasn't trying to kill my baby (laughs) no but it's it's what um, moms do though like if we think our kids are hurting we want to like we will do anything to make that hurting stop you know like and you wanted to make sure and like like you know like obviously if they're giving whatever they give women in labor they know was going to pass through the placenta so it's considered safe for babies so you will you know like i'm not like you know like just from like an outsider's perspective or whatever like i'm not over here sitting like oh geez you were trying to you know, do a euthanasia situation over because that's not what it, that's not in any way what it would have been. It would have just been, you know, if, if being, 
if going through the birthing process hurts at all, you are making that easier for her. Like, I don't know. I, I don't remember going through a birth canal, thankfully. Um, so I don't know <laughs> what that's like. But if it were in any way something uncomfortable, you were making sure that she had the easiest time possible. Yeah, like, I mean, I just, I know I've seen people, like, grown people dying, and I've seen grown people struggling to breathe. Yes. And the combination of the two. Yes. And it's horrifying to think of a baby doing that to me, and it was at the time, (laughs) you know, so anyways, but, um, my mom, you know, like was what she said, because I didn't look over while she was holding Caden so she passed. But when my mother was telling me about it, and I do believe her because she didn't ever break down while she was saying it, so I don't think it was a lie and stuff, you know, but she just said, like, it was very peaceful while she was, like, taking in, like, her little breath and just softly, like, she said, like, she was breathing, like, soft little whispers, and I was like, well, that sounds good to me, and then she just said that, like, her last breath was just the softest little sigh, and I was like, okay, that's good, that's all I need to know, need to hear kind of thing, and she was like, and it was beautiful, and then she just popped her little mouth open like a, and I was like, oh, well, okay, and then, like, we didn't talk about it anymore, really, and I was like, that's that's good enough, like, but even that was, like, traumatic for me, like, having to hear about, like, her last, yeah, even though they were, like, just six feet away from me, yeah, and, and then, like, I still hear that social worker in my head all the time, like, those words, and her freaking voice, like, it just, it haunts me, so, like there's, but I'm not the only one who's gone through that. No, I guarantee, and that it's not that that gives me any sort of comfort, but knowing that I'm not alone, that it sickens me that I'm not the only one that has gone through a parade of social workers invading my space while I'm going through such a horrible, horrible moment. Yeah. Like, it's just terrible. Yeah. It's good that we can talk about it. and Well, and that's one of the reasons why it's so important to talk about it. Like, maybe at some point a social worker will hear this and change their approach and come at it from a softer, different angle. Like, it's because, like, like I said, like, that can help some people. But you shouldn't go into the room thinking this is going to help everyone. You should feel the situation out and maybe ask a couple questions. You know, like, how are you feeling? What are you thinking? This is what helps some people. This is what helps some people. How can I be here for you? As opposed to, you know, you need to do this or else. Right? Mm -hmm. And again, like, I just, I can't apologize to you on the behalf of a stranger a long time before I met you enough to like have it just be like I just wish I had a time machine um you know and I could go back there and kill some people because I would freaking just as wonderful as it would be to have had a time machine 
so that you could have been in the room with me, and I would have loved that. The reality is that we don't have time machines. So the best thing that we can do right now is just be as supportive as possible to everyone, men and women alike, who are going through situations similar to what we have experienced. And both of our experiences are vastly different from each other, but they have so many commonalities in the end. And that is that both of us came home in the end without our children. Well, it was one of the things that I was kind of afraid to talk to you about too, because like in my head, it was so different, like so... Like, you know, you see the things online where people are talking about how, like, a first trimester loss isn't really a loss and how, you know, if you could legally still abort the baby, it's not actually a loss. <laughs> and, like, all the different, you know, like, that it, there's a big... And there there is a big difference between, like, I know we've talked before about how I felt really fortunate that we hadn't told very many people because I didn't have to, you know, go like try to take back a public statement like a facebook post announcing a pregnancy or you know like we hadn't had a baby shower yet and we like not everyone in our lives knew where like if like in your situation you had a lot more people who knew so i'm sure you had like months and months of having to reopen that wound every time you saw someone and they asked you know what i mean like i go through that quite a bit where people uh, they expected that I would have a child. You know, they would ask, oh, so where's the baby? How are you doing with baby? I heard you got married and had a baby. Right. <laughs> and things like that. And then I would be instantly filled with dread because I didn't really know how to answer that. Uh, you know, I'd have to tell them, uh, she died. Or I would be... I would usually be pretty blunt like that um, just because that's the type of person that I am. And that tended to shut people down pretty quick, I noticed, or make them uncomfortable and awkward. And I didn't like doing that, so I changed my technique pretty quick. Just, oh, it didn't happen. And then they'd have questions about that, too, like, right. when I thought you were pregnant. <laughs> I didn't really know how to answer yeah. After a while. And you, once you get into those conversations, like, you don't really know what to say. And also, they don't really know what, like, I almost feel like the blunt approach is the better approach. Because then at least it shuts it down. And, like, both of you, like, it's over, like, it's over faster than trying to be, like, gentle or vague. And they ask questions and you, like, it kind of just drags it out for both people. And you're like, yeah, we're going to get to the point where you don't know what to say to me. And you're going to wish you hadn't walked over here to talk to me at all. And I wish you hadn't walked over here to talk to me at all. So now we're in this awkward impasse where neither one of us feels like we can leave the situation. Especially because, like, it always happens, like, in the aisle of a grocery store. Or, like, some random, like, where you meet up with people that aren't part of, like, your inner circle. You know, but, like, the periphery kind of people, right? Or, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of that awkward time of, like what do you say to people and like what do they say back to you that's exactly and i also would find um quite a few times that people um or family members who were excited about it or you know things like that um they would they would end up almost putting me into a position and giving comfort them when they got the news right and that 
read and figure out how approach that whole subject went out. Yeah. So it's it's just it's there's not a, a good word to describe it. No. It's strange. And like that's one of the reasons like why I felt like my experiences weren't as valid as your like or you know like I know we kind of we've talked about it a lot over the last like five years of like how I how I kind of like was reluctant to broach the subject with you because your loss in my mind is so much more significant than like and it, and you keep saying it over and over like there's no scale of this is the point where your loss becomes significant right like there's no and like it took me like forever to like have you hammer that into my head of like loss is loss is loss and the grief from that loss is experienced, you know, in in a sim like a similar way than, you know, you know what I mean. Well, and that's why I try to try to say it exactly like that with the whole like the scale grief and and that kind of loss or anything like that because. At the end of the day, we both came home the exact same without our child. We both came home with the same loss. Like, we, you know, we, we came home at the end of the race <laughs> exactly the same. So I, I find that your loss was just as equal as mine. And I like it. It hurts. It hurts my heart <laughs> when you or any other mother um, or father tries to say that it that my um, story or experience is more valid than because it, it's just not. That's it for this week's episode. I hope you found it insightful or fun. If you have any thoughts about this week's topic, any feedback for, about the It's Gwinnable podcast overall, or if you have a topic you'd like to hear about, please send me an email. It's Gwinnable at gmail.com. I-T-S-G-U-I-N-A-B-L-E at gmail.com. All of your comments, requests, or questions that I receive from you are kept completely anonymous. I want this to be a safe space where everyone can feel completely safe and confident to be their authentic self with no judgment. If you have something you're struggling with or you have something you want to celebrate, I want to hear all about it. I hope that this next week is an amazing one for you. Until the next episode, take some time this week to embrace every facet of yourself.